Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bear Insider, Ultimate Insider Podcast. Today, we have a great show with everything going on in college sports right now, with a new name, image, and likeness, with all of our former Cal athletes, some of our great ones playing pro, with all of the success that Cal athletes have later on in life, just from the, the experience of playing football at Cal. I have the perfect guest today. He is one of my all-time favorite Cal quarterbacks. And Cal quarterbacks are easy to like. I, I'm going to be honest with you, super easy to like. But this guy is pretty special in my mind. When he was playing at Cal, I used to hang with him all the time. We used to throw together. Just a fantastic dude. And though his professional career was not in sports as much as a player, his professional career is in sports. And he's fantastic, the best in the business at what he does. Today, I want to introduce Ryan Tolner. Like I said, one of my favorite Cal quarterbacks and a player representative, in my opinion, the best in the country right now. RT, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. That's that's an awesome introduction. Um, I feel the same about you. I, I was uh, among the among the Cal quarterbacks. I was an absolute nobody. I never started a game for Cal. I never even threw a pass. But for some reason, this uh, this Cal quarterback legend uh, number nine that, that would come around when I was playing took some interest in me. And you were willing to to go out and throw and help me with my release and and just understanding of the game. And and I always appreciated that. You know, I wasn't I wasn't the star player, but I was a willing learner. I love football just like you, and, and we struck up a great relationship that's continued to last, so I appreciate that. Absolutely, and obviously you have a family tradition of football, right? You're, you know, your uncle, big-time football coach, another great offensive mind in the game of football. You're working with your cousin right now. You've got some, some real football background. Tell us a little bit about that background, and then talk to me about your experience at Cal and what that meant to you. I know you were St. Francis legend. Firstly, let's get them in there. St. Francis, you know, big-time <laughs> Lancers, is that right? Lancers, that's right. Yeah. St. Right. Francis Lancers, so let's give them a little bit of love, right? Turned that's out a right. good product no here. But then talk to me about football tradition in your family, what that meant, and then your history at Cal. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up around the game. My dad had been a college quarterback. In fact, his he went to Cal Poly, and, and his career was cut short at Cal Poly because his dad passed away, and he came back to Palo Alto to take over a family business. Um, and so I grew up throwing the football, and that's really all I – was going to do was trying to play, you know, try to play football. And, and uh, my uncle, who's my dad's brother, Ted Tolner, um, in the years that I was really taking interest in football, he was the head coach at, at, um, at USC. And he had been the offensive coordinator under John Robinson, became the head coach. And so, you know, I've got really distinct memories of going down to the Rose Bowl game and, and Jack Del Rio is their, you know, their star linebacker. And he's messing with me in the arcade and, you know, because he knows I'm the coach's, you know, nephew and and uh, Rodney Pete and a variety of guys that they had on those teams at USC. And so um, it, it, it college football, big time college football was really what I aspired to be a part of. And um, it started for me with making a decision to go to St. Francis, which I happened to grow up about two blocks away in Mountain View from St. Francis so I could walk to school. But um, I grew up being able to hear kind of the, you know, the, the sounds of Friday night football. And and that's what I knew I wanted to do. And uh, when you commit to play at St. Francis, you're committing to be a part of a tradition. And the winning as a quarterback, you're not going to throw the ball very much. I mean, we were uh, – I, I was told, hey, you're going to throw the ball ten times tonight. If you don't complete eight of them, you might not play next week. And I'm Beautiful. like, you know, at the time you I didn't realize – You have to love that as a quarterback. No like, doubt. Eight percent completions or you're out. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that 80% completion was, was pretty darn good, but that was expected there because we, we ran the veer. So I wasn't heavily recruited coming out of high school – even though um, 
you know, funny enough, at the time, a quarterback that, that was a grade younger than me at Sarah High School was Tom Brady. And, you know, Tom was, was the opposite of me. You know, he was this tall, uh, strong-arm passer that, that uh, threw the ball all over the field. And yet we were a significantly better team, which obviously made me think I was significantly better than Tom, uh, you know, which, which uh, hasn't, hasn't quite played out. But um, at any rate, you know, I, I, I saw other quarterbacks go on to play in college football, and I felt I can do that. And so when the opportunity to walk on at Cal came about, it was really kind of late for me. I mean, I was thinking about some smaller schools and, and places that might actually, you know, run the veer and, and, and what I was comfortable with. And then, you know, I was really fixated on playing in the Pac-10 at the time. And I'd grown up going to a lot of Stanford games because my house was about 15 minutes from there. And I uh, had great respect for Cal. My grandfather was a Cal grad. And so anytime that I was at his house, he was playing the Cal fight song. And he was just a really diehard Cal guy. And so I knew that um, he had passed when I was a junior in high school. And I, and I knew that with the opportunity to go to Cal and to play there, it would make him really proud. It would make my mom really proud. So um, that was an easy decision for me. I was a really academically driven guy too. And, and you know, the, the, the education is, is the best of the best. So uh, it was an easy decision at that point. But um, in hindsight, you know, I didn't really know how difficult it would be as a walk-on quarterback. It's the one position where, you know, recruiting hinges on, well, who'd you sign a quarterback? And, and are you bringing in a big time guy? And, and I was only relevant as a walk-on at Cal because the scholarship guy in my class was Trevor Thompson, who suffered a really bad shoulder injury his, his last game of his senior year. So they needed another arm in my class, and that's what allowed me the opportunity. Um, but, you know, I, I, look, I, I went and I made the most out of the experience at Cal. I mean, it was, it was really incredible. I, I think I capitalized on the education as well as anybody possibly could. Um, I, I went the direction of, of um, taking all the prereqs to get into Haas and was able to get into Haas and it kept my life really convenient because I was either at the stadium or across the street at Haas and, and, um, and, you know, I learned a ton about football and I developed incredible relationships and I grew immensely as a person um, really because of the diversity at, at Berkeley. I mean, I, I had come from this, this um, I would say relatively sheltered high school and I went to Cal and it was like, wow, every world interest, you know, all represented in one place. And it was, it was amazing. And I, and I came away from it with just such an appreciation for people and a confidence in my ability to relate and connect with people. If you simply uh, find people interesting and take interest in their interest, you can connect. And, and that has served me really well in what I do professionally now. Boy, that is a fantastic statement right there, right? You take their interests and, and you talk about their interests and and just engage with people, right? And at Cal, you meet, as you pointed out, so many different types. And oftentimes, it seems like there's conflict between all those types. But once you start talking, you realize 95% of what you're talking about, you guys agree on. And so mm -hmm. that, that was the amazing part for me at Cal as well. Talk about the quarterback room. Who was in the quarterback room when you were at Cal? It's a really special place. I mean, that quarterback room is a really special place. And it has a chemistry all its own, outdone by only maybe the offensive line room, because yeah. those guys have such personalities. But who was in your quarterback room and what was that like? So my, my redshirt year, our starting quarterback was Dave Barr. And, um, and, and so, so Dave played with me. I love, I love Bam. He is a stud. He, and, and Dave was so smart, you know, and it, it was, it was that kind of wake up moment for me when I got there thinking, you know, I'm a pretty bright guy and, and I've been around football and all this stuff. And it was like, what, what language is he talking? Cause I don't, right. I don't understand anything that's going on right now. And Denny Schuler was our, our offense coordinator and quarterback coach scheme made absolutely no sense to me at the time and again it's because I came from the veer and you know f funny enough it, it 
these are a couple of funny things. Running the veer at St. Francis, all of our offensive linemen were in four-point stances, including the center. Right. And so my job was to push my center into his block. And I would, you know, I would have to push him into his block, get the ball, and then separate and go through my footwork to run the veer. And then the other funny thing is that my coach, whenever I threw a sideline ball, an out route, a comeback, he would yell at me to cover, meaning I would have to throw an out route and then take off sprinting to the sideline to be the last line of defense in the event that it was intercepted and, and returned for a touchdown. Planning so on I the pick Cal, ahead of time. Yeah. So when I first got to Cal, I'm trying to figure out this offensive scheme. I'm under center and the centers are all 300 pounds, you know, and they're trying to go backwards. They're trying to snap and set. And I'm trying to push them forward because that's how I learned to take a snap. I and bet guys like Jeremy that. Newberry are turning around and they're just swiping at me like, what are you doing? You're killing right. me on my block. Right. And um, so I had to learn to just, just set your hands in there. They're going to give you the ball. You know, it's not, you, you got, you got to give them some pressure, but you don't have to throw them into their block. Yeah, and just secondly, enough pressure so that they don't separate. Like Exactly right. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, and then push second, them, push them head first. Make them head heavy. They absolutely love that stuff. If it makes you feel any better, when I got to Cal, <laughs> as you know, Troy Taylor was a starter when I got there, and I came out of a weird yeah. tee, which isn't far off of a veer, and so yeah. I knew absolutely nothing of the football language myself. And so that, that, that <laughs> we have so our, our experiences are so similar in terms of what we came in. I, I was just this dumb freshman knew nothing about football and, and it was like walking into a spanish class at cal where all of a sudden all they speak is spanish yes you have no idea what they're talking about you just kind of smile and nod and exactly like, oh, yeah i gotta feel smart in here exactly that that's that was exactly how i felt and i and, and here i'm the redshirt freshman so I, I i don't have any authority to ask questions or you know i mean i'm trying to like write notes and see if i can find somebody to ask like what are we talking about what what is right. cover eight what, what, right. what is that what are you talking about so anyway, I, I was lost my redshirt freshman year completely, but um, I remember throwing those out routes and starting to run in the direction of, of where I'd thrown it, you know, to the sideline. And guys like Pat Barnes shaking their head going, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, if it's, if it's undercut and picked off, I got I to gotta tackle the guy. And he's like, well, just have some confidence and throw it, you know, yeah. like stand there and throw it. And if you're going to miss, miss him outside so he can't pick it off. And right, I'm how like, about oh, just don't throw picks? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I'm like, okay, that, that, that's, that's how we'll do it from now on. But um, yeah, yeah it's so funny if you watch high school football now, right? And I've been around coaching high school quarterbacks and like, there's still a lot of that going on where these yeah. guys put these needless restraints on their quarterbacks that really just make the game more difficult for them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's just funny to watch. So who else just give me some names, name drop here for me. Who else were you? Yeah. So we had, we had a, we had a funny group, you know, Barr was the senior. We had Kerry McGonigal who had also been oh, a, Carmine. Um, he, yeah, he had also been a walk-on, but had earned a scholarship. Really, really smart guy. Um, Zee Gottlieb, who was kind of this hybrid right. quarterback, wide receiver. Um, and, you know, Zee was, Zee was just a super funny guy. Um, we had Trevor and I, Trevor Thompson and I, that were both the incoming freshmen. Um, I think that was the group that first year. And um, so Dave was the starter and, and Barnes was the backup. Right. Um, and Zee was in that mix a little bit as well. But Funny enough, the next year, my redshirt freshman year, I think I was probably fourth string, but Zeeb also was playing wide receiver, so I was kind of third string. And the first game of the year, we play against San Jose State at Cal. And we get way ahead, and, and Gilby comes over to me and says, you're going in. And I'm like, not thinking I'm playing. I mean, I've had like, yeah, I've had no, no reps at all in practice, like none. I mean, I hardly, hardly know right. how to call plays. So 
I'm waiting for the ball, you know, for, for, for us to get the ball. They punt it to us, and the ball trickles down, and it's down on the one-yard line, on our own one-yard line. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. No timeouts, by the way, and there's like, I don't know, five minutes left. And I run out onto the field, and I get in the huddle, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, we're, we don't have enough guys in the huddle. And I'm looking at the offensive linemen, and they're all in a line, and the one guy missing is the center. There's no center in the game at all. And I'm yelling at the sideline, like, I need a center. Get a center in here. And, and so I've got to run the play. The clock's running down. So I tell Tate McAllister, who was a guard, who had never snapped, and I had never taken a snap from Tate. I said, you got to snap the ball. I'm going to go on one, on set. Just put the ball in my hands. Just and not fast. Just put it in my hands. So we get to the line of scrimmage, and he snaps the ball to me super slow. And there's a middle linebacker standing in front of me who, ironically, when I was a sophomore at St. Francis, this guy was the stud middle linebacker at Bellarmine, our rival. And I got to play in a, in a playoff game as a sophomore in varsity. Um, and he's standing in front of me, my first play as a sophomore in high school. His name is Jake Malai. And he's now a police officer down in, in, in Santa Clara. And he's a great guy. Um, he's the middle linebacker for San Jose State. And I'm staring right across at him. And he's sitting in the A-gap. And he's like going to rip my head off. And I've got no center. So I get the ball and I turn around. And I hand it to our fullback. We're trying to run a dive just to get out of the end zone. And Malai hits me and the, and the fullback at the same time. Oh. And our fullback spins off it. And there is a hole, a gaping hole. And he takes off running down the field. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's going to go 99 yards for a touchdown. He ends up getting caught at about the 50. But that was my very first snap at Cal, completely unprepared. And, and, and fortunately, it worked out. But um, that quarterback room, what was cool was everybody was so fired up for me. You know, they were so – excited it was funny because my mom and dad weren't even at that game because they thought there was like zero chance that I could actually play in a game but um and I didn't play in another game probably for like two more years which was uh unfortunate as well well that is the beauty of the quarterback room right it is intense competition like every single throw you are competing with everybody in that room but yep. then whoever steps on the field it's team and everybody gets behind them which is pretty cool. no doubt no yeah, doubt that makes yep. that makes it great we're gonna move on a little bit here now uh, obviously, I talked about it. You are a player rep, NFL player rep, pro player rep. And now with all the name, image, and likeness stuff that's gone on in college football, you and I talked about this in Oregon at the game two years ago when this yep. ruling first came out. The name, image, and likeness. Now, now, how about that? We're in America. People have the right to their own image and likeness, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. how silly was it that the NC2A had that authority forever to not allow players to make money? Right. Talk about the effect of that on college football. And it's, I'm just going to give you a big open stage here. Uh, yes. You are in the sports business more than I am on the broadcasting side. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. We talked about it back then. It's like, ooh, this is a wild west. Like anything could happen. But I've seen that some players, I've seen reports of some players getting million-dollar deals already, you know, for, for yeah. their name, image, and likeness. Ta uh, you know, a couple different phases. A, what does it mean? B, how likely is it that some of these schools use these as recruiting tools to get some of these kids oh, yeah. in? Yeah, it, it really is the Wild West right now, which is which is really crazy. Um, I mean, I've spent so many collective hours talking about this topic and trying to figure it out, and, and we still don't really know what what it's going to kind of manifest into. Um, I mean, I would say this, that back when probably you and I were playing, you, you were probably one of the guys at Cal that, that you know, had a, a really strong enough image as, as one of the faces of Cal football. And shoot, they may have been selling your jersey in the student store, you know, and you weren't getting any piece of that. And I really think that the NC2A missed the boat on the ability to allow those star players whose name, image, and likeness were being used 
to allow them to capitalize in some way. I mean, they, they easily could have said, look, a portion of what we make off of your Jersey sales, we're going to put into an, annu an annuity and you're going to make this, you know, you're going to, you're going to earn this five years after you graduate college or something like that. I mean, they, they could have been doing things like that. I mean, I, I actually think that players initially were just hoping that the trade between what you get in a scholarship, you're, you're including your stipend, versus what you're giving and what's now being made in college football. It's just not even. So let's just raise the stipend for everybody. Make sure that everybody's got a bit more spending money because guys don't really have the time to take on a full-time job. And, and, you know, they weren't really finding ways to monetize their, their, their image. What's changed, and this is, this is a huge part of my profession as well, is that going back probably 15 years ago, you know, we, we used to visit with prospects that were, that were pro prospects, and they would say, well, what are you going to do for my brand? To, to really grow my brand and it was kind of like well first and foremost your brand is driven by what you do on the field you know are you are you going to be a really good player at a marquee position in a strong market um, are you going to make plays in big moments on Monday night football or whatever that whatever that is that drives fanfare then traditional media is going to want to cover your story and then corporations are going to want to affiliate with you because of how you carry yourself or how unique you are they're going to view you as a vehicle to advertise their brand and, and ultimately grow their brand. So that's how it used to be. Well, now what's changed is the individual's ability to grow their own brand. Because of these platforms that we have, because of this connectivity that we have, ultimately through the internet, but now with these, these social media platforms, everybody carrying a, you know, a handheld device and, and they're, they're you know, deeply connected to, to anyone they wanna be at any time, um, it, it has given people the ability to brand themselves like we've never seen before. So you now have college athletes who may not even be the face of their, of their program, but they have such an incredible following that they have some appeal to brands because brands are now completely rethinking the way in which they advertise to their customer base. They're not, you know, posting in, in you know, ads in newspapers or magazines or, or running commercials. They, they, can, they can go find five college athletes and all of a sudden they can reach, you know, 8 million, um, you know, potential customers in a targeted demographic if they just get them to post, you know, once a month for five months. And so you have people with virtually no talent at all that have an, an incredible following and really understand how to use social media as a tool. And so that is, that is where we're at right now. I mean, the idea of name, image, and likeness, it was completely irrelevant for an athlete like me at Cal. I mean, I, I, I had no name, image, or likeness beyond, you know, my mom and my sisters rooting for me or something, but um, you know, like, now it's, it's completely different with social media. And so the ability for these athletes to monetize, that's going to be the forum under which they're predominantly monetizing is through their social channels. They're going to be creating these, these um, brand relationships and, and providing X number of posts um, that, that, that are paid for. And that's how they're going to really make money. We're not going to see a ton of college athletes that pop up on, on commercials and, and forms of advertising, but there may be some. And, and I will say that right now, if for any brand that's trying to reach a college-aged person or younger, um, using a, 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 a face of college athletics to, to advertise is, is really appealing. And so this has become a really appealing endorser base, which are these college athletes. And that's why I think a lot are happening right now. I'm, I, I won't be surprised if it kind of settles in once, once these, these companies and brands maybe realize the effect of, of, um, of using them as a, as an endorser base, but for now, it's a really hot, a hot group to use. And um, I don't know, I'm not sure yet that, that the athletes are making millions of dollars. I think that might be a little bit of like a, 
you know, a Nick Saban kind of recruiting uh, fabrication. You hit but, the school. Um, there it is. It, yeah. And, and but but the reality is that it has created an arms race the same way that, you know, Cal's facilities look completely different right now than when you and I played there. And they have to in order to compete even within the Pac-12. Right. I mean, a kid can go look at Oregon State and then come to Cal and if the facilities aren't equal, that, that might be the deciding factor. And so Cal has really stepped up in that regard. Um, and, and the facilities now are beautiful. And so it, it's the same concept. You know, how many different uniforms are you providing to be able to Oregon? Um, ultimately, this is where it's going to be as a kid's going to say, well, if I come to Berkeley, what, what can I look to make off the field compared to going to Oregon or, you know, going to Alabama or wherever that might be? I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a very critical metric in recruiting is to what your potential earning is by, you know, by coming to a certain school. And, and that's where, like, I think what's ultimately going to have to happen is I think the alumni base at these different schools is going to have to step up and say, you know what, we're, we're supporters of the program and, and we would like to, you know, advertise with 10 different Cal athletes. I think that's what it's going to have to be um, in order to keep up with a lot of these other schools. I mean, Saban's saying that his quarterback who hasn't played a down in college football is making a right. million bucks. Um, I would imagine that every one of those deals are intimately, those companies are intimately tied to Alabama already. Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a no brainer. The, the yeah. thing about the SEC is they understand how to, how do I put this properly? Not necessarily to get away with it, but to massage the rules so that it works in their favor and none of them report on each other. And so right. they can kind of work the angles as the angles exist and nobody's going to turn you in. And so they, they keep it in-house, as it were, yes. in the SEC. So, yeah, talking about yes. a million-dollar quarterback who's never played in college football, like, it, I saw that. I was like, mm, that sounds silly to me. <laughs> Let's talk about the business side of this from the player's perspective because here's the thing that it strikes me, that the thing that becomes interesting is that it used to be, as you pointed out, Here's your scholarship. The value of a scholarship is worth the value of your effort on the field, in the weight room, in the training room, in the classroom, getting everything done. Look how much you're getting out of this. Well, my left tackle, when I was at Cal, Troy Ozine, who is a bit of a contrarian in everything, did the math, and we were earning about 86 cents an hour when we were <laughs> working at Cal when I was there. Yeah. And so obviously the value of it wasn't really there for the football player in terms of a job, right? Now there's future potential and all of that. But now the kid has the uh, platform in football, the platform with sports. You know, I don't know that the other sports, basketball has some, you know, but I don't know the other sports have the national kind of branding ability that football has. Right. Now they have this platform. It becomes more of a business relationship with the school. Whereas, you know, the more the kids push for, the more the schools are going to be able to say, well, look, we're, we're providing you this opportunity. You're a contractor now do these kids eventually end up having to pay for their education? Do they end up having to have business managers? I mean, what, what ends up happening with some of these kids who do have these big deals? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, just as an example, I would, I would be extremely confident that the top 10 rated quarterbacks for the next draft have already signed with agents for NIL deals, every single one of them. Um, and, and most of these agents are, are traditional agents like me that, um, that have never represented a college athlete and probably don't even do much marketing. They have people in their company that do. Um, and yet that's who these, these guys are aligned with. And, um, and I think that it, it, it's also infusing this element with the agencies of, okay, now we need to produce for these guys to hang on to them so that when they do become a pro, we get to represent them. So 
what, you know, how is that motivating them to bring deals, right? Like what relationships with corporations might they have that they're trying to bring deals? Um, I, I think that what's concerning to it all is that, it, it, for, for me at least, is remembering that, that first and foremost, these are student athletes. So professional athletes have no other focus other than their sport, other than their professional sport. Like these are student athletes that still um, need to devote quite a bit of their time to their education and to going to class. And, and then they've got very, you know, very tight restrictions with their team and, and, and time constraints in that regard. So it's, you know, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna run into some issues, I think, where coaches are going to be concerned about the focus of the players and, and, and really what are they looking to do? That being said, I, I don't think that any coach in America right now, especially in football, is saying, you know, hey, stop doing any NIL deals and turn this stuff off because they, they have to be in the game for recruiting. And so what I'm actually seeing more than anything is that while the, the universities don't have to afford the player the right to use their, their logos and their, you know, their colors and their marks, um, when the player goes to them and says, hey, I have an opportunity to do this particular deal that can pay me X amount of money, can I, can I wear my jersey? Um, I think the schools are, are going to be inclined to say, sure, go ahead, because I want you to make that money so that we can go tell the next set of recruits, come here and, and you know, as an example, this guy made, you know, $50,000, um, $100,000, whatever that, amount, that amount's going to be. So um, it's, it, it, all of these things are, are way too unclear right now. There's still even some, some difference in state laws right now. Um, and I guess, I guess, you know, look, I'm all for, like you said, it's America for any, any individual being able to, to, to monetize their own ability, their own name, image, likeness, um, you know, to be an entrepreneur in, in, in any which way. I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I love, I love the parody of college football. I love going into a college football season and believing that Cal has a chance to, to win the Pac-12 as well as anybody else does, you know, and, and it's, and, and, and look, this has been going back, you know, forever that everybody believes, you know, your, your, your competitors are, are cheating and, you know, they're, they, they didn't get that player legitimately or whatever that is. Well, let's, let's just now assume that, that there's no cheating. Like it's, it's just, everything's free and open. So, you know, who's going to be smarter about how they're appealing to high school prospects in order to come to their university what do they have to offer, um, you know, that, that, that would appeal to a young guy that has options? Um, and that's, that's where I think this is headed. Yeah, now, now the haves and have-nots really kind of define themselves moving yeah. forward. Not only do we have great facilities, great coaches, a great program, but we have the opportunity for you to monetize your likeness as well. We can help you build your brand, do all those things. And so it would be incumbent on alumni, on the businesses that support the school, to also support the players as well, right? right. Being right. part, be part of the haves, don't be part of the have nots, yeah. which, which gets to kind of a quick question. I, this, this may or may not be your Ballywick, but with Texas and Oklahoma heading to the SEC, all this conference realignment talk, they're talking about, you know, getting this one big super conference in college football. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You know, it, it's now we're just, this is pure conjecture on our part. Yeah. Where do you see that going? You know, I, I hope it doesn't go there because I, I love the beauty of, of rivalries. I love the beauty of, you know, we've been competing with these same schools for, you know, for so many years. And, and you know, a true fan can remember what happened in, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And, and, um, and, and I love the opportunity for college athletes to be able to compete toward conference championships. You know, I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, for us at Cal, I mean, we – the years I was there, and I'm sure that you were there too, the goal was the Rose Bowl. 
right? Because if you could win the conference, you're going to the Rose Bowl. Yep. And, and I think that's great and that's healthy. And, and, you know, I would kind of hate to see it all wrapped into one where it's like, look, you're either, you know, making this, this, you know, college football playoff at the end of the year or, or, you know, you're reluctantly playing in, in some other, you know, bowl game that, you know, you, you, you feel like you're a loser. Um, so, I mean, I, I hope that, that, you know, we don't get away from these, these sort of conference fields. And, and I, and I think it's just, I think it's healthy that people from different regions of the country, you know, are, kind of subscribe to one particular conference and then they all, you know, banter about who's better. I, in that regard. Um, and yet uh, I understand that, that there's bigger motivations in that, right? Like what, what is the best way that college football can drive money? And, and unfortunately I think we're moving away from a lot of the purity of college football. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the amateurism is done, it's over. And so I think that, that, you know, now we're, we're moving into this professionalism of, well, what's the optimal way for, for these programs to make as much money as they can, which ultimately is going to benefit, you know, the individual athletes that are there because they, they may stand to make something from it as well. And so um, I, I don't know the direction that that's going. I, I, I hear and read stuff, you know, about the NC2A right now, and, and it just feels like day by day they're losing their control. And, um, and I, I don't know how you're going to keep it all organized. Well, they've been a monopoly for so long. I mean, they just monopolized college sports. And so they can't do that anymore, right? The, the right. NIL breaks that monopoly. And now the bigger schools don't have to care yes. because now they don't have the same power over the athlete to give. It, it, it created this, this environment for schools where they had this resource in players that couldn't otherwise monetize and they had to settle for the scholarship, but the schools could monetize every single aspect of every single sport from donations to endorsements, to TV rights, to like everything. And so to brands, right? You you pay 15% if you want to use the Cal logo on anything that you make, you know, we have a great sweatshirt coming out for go wild this year, 15% for that Cal logo for us to put it on there. So they could monetize absolutely everything. And, And I'll, you know, America, I'm all for it. Great. Good on you. But now that's broken. Like the NC2A no longer has that stranglehold on players and, and that antitrust, you know, issues that were, that stood there are gone now. Um, So anyway, just fascinating. I would be remiss if we didn't talk about our other favorite Cal quarterback who's out there right now, our boy, Jared Goff. Obviously you represent Jared. I just texted with him the other day, wishing him luck as he heads into camp. Absolutely. Absolutely love Jared Goff. Like, one of the best dudes you could ever meet as good as he is as a quarterback, a better person. Yes. Um, and you can get into whatever depth you want to with the deal that just went down with him going to Detroit. I was never a Lions plan, fan. I played in the black and blue division when I was with Tampa. So I did not like the Lions. Now I'm a huge Lions fan because yeah. Jared Goff's playing there. Talk to me about Jared and his situation. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, like, Jared is who he is as a person is a testament to how he was raised. And, and Jerry and Nancy Goff are just exceptional people, Cal people. And, um, you know, they, they raised him in such a humble grounded way. Um, it, uh, he, he continues to amaze me with who he is and how resilient he is um, starting with resiliency. So I happen to be at his very first start at Cal, which he was the only quarterback in the history of Cal football to start his first game as a true freshman. And I remember through the course of the game, just feeling sorry for him and actually thinking about like, oh, his poor parents have to be watching this. Like he looked like he was 160 pounds out there. And I he's announced just that game. I'm going to break him on every snap. Every snap. And they're playing yeah. Northwestern, who's this physical defense. And, 
And, you know, but he just kept popping up and throwing it again and throwing it again. And by the end of the game, it was like, oh, my gosh, this kid's thrown for a gazillion yards and in, in his very first start. And he looks unfazed by the pressure. He looks unfazed by, you know, guys coming to hit him. He's keeping his eyes downfield. He's moving his feet. He can throw the football. Um, I was blown away by that. I mean, that that was my starting point of, like, we, we have something here, and I, and I can't wait to kind of watch this guy's career unfold. Um, that resiliency has has been a hallmark for Jared. You know, I mean, he goes to the Rams with the very first pick in the draft, which, you know, super proud moment for, for me, for, for everyone from Cal, you know, to have our quarterback be the first pick in the draft. And, um, and he goes to the Rams who weren't built for a rookie quarterback at the time. You know, they had a staff that they really weren't sure about. They didn't, they, they weren't really married to an offensive scheme. They didn't have a real veteran QB to, to kind of guide him. Um, they didn't really want to play him initially. And, and, and then they threw him out there and he really wasn't ready. Um, his scheme that he had run at Cal afforded him a lot of freedom to develop as a passer, but it was not a pro a pro style system. And so, you know, ha having to huddle up and call a couple of plays in the huddle and walk the line of scrimmage and identify fronts and coverages and put them in the right play and, and, you know, make pre-snap and post-snap reads. Like he just wasn't really equipped to do that as a rookie. So um, just real yet, quick, when he was there, like I did with you, I would talk to him all the time. I'd be like, you need to understand coverage. I realized that in the air raid, that's not an issue. And, and, and I sat and had a long night with Mike Leach and some great vodka one night. We talked about why it's important for quarterbacks to read coverage. And he's like, ah, they get it wrong half the time anyway. And Sonny had that same mentality. And I'm like, they need to understand that. And this kid is going to be a next level talent. He really needs to understand. So every time I talk to Jared, I'd be like, hey, we need, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about coverage. We can go over it, kind of where it's at, the whole nine yards. And, and he worked on it to his credit in spite of the fact that he wasn't getting that kind of coaching, right? Because that wasn't part of the system. It was just pure progression. And so yes. he worked on that and got better with that. Yes. Uh, now, that said, you know, being in that air-rated system as a quarterback is awesome because it's awesome. just like one, two, three, four, let her rip, and that's it, boy. And you just find that first open jersey that isn't a bad jersey, and you hit him. And yes. so, it made, you know, for huge passing yards, but it does not really transfer to that next level if you can't get the concepts. Yeah, you know, you're walking up to the line of scrimmage and you're counting the box, right? It doesn't matter who's in there. It doesn't right. matter that, you know, one of those guys is Aaron Donald or, or who's the mic or whatever that might be. You're just, you count the box and are we, okay, we're throwing it, you know, and right. overrunning it. And, you know, I do think that he became really adept at, at um, post-snap reading passing concepts, you know, and, and as you and I know, passing concepts are passing concepts. There's only so many different combinations of things you can do with wide receivers and I think he became really adept at that, at, at a sense of timing and anticipation. And, and obviously he had great feet at Cal and he became extremely accurate and had the arm, you know, arm strength to throw it all over the field. Those were all the foundational things that were there. Obviously, separate from that being, you know, his willingness to learn and, and ability to learn and, and, and all of that. But it was going to be a big learning curve once he got to the NFL. And I think his head was spinning as, as a rookie. Um, and yet, after that rookie season, which most people, most, you know, NFL fans would, would probably say was disastrous for, you know, a number one pick, I remember being with Jared, you know, in, in his very casual style. And in fact, my wife and I were with him. And, and my wife goes, Jared, are you, are you okay? Like, are you going to be okay? And Jared's like, I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm going to tear, I'm gonna tear this about? league up. Yeah. yeah, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going to tear good. this league up. Yeah. And so when he left, I remember my wife saying to me, like, is he delusional? And, and, and it, it actually hit me at that point where I'm like, you know what, to be a quarterback, you need a degree of delusional confidence. 
Like you just do. And, and I mean, I, I can, I can, you know, proudly identify the same thing with you, Mike, like you had an, an incredible belief in yourself in, in your toughness and your ability to win football games and to do whatever it took to win. And while everybody else might, you know, might, might see you differently, that doesn't matter. It's how you see yourself and the confidence you bring to a huddle and to an offense and to a team. And so Jared has that, that, that toughness inside and that confidence inside that, that people feed off of. And I, and I think the way that he bounced back in his second year, the first year under, under McVay, it kind of, you know, made everybody see, okay, this guy's wired, wired a little bit differently, you know, and he's so resilient. Um, he pops up when he gets hit hard. He, he, he somehow wiggles out of hard hits and, and delivers the football all over the field. And so, you know, he just kept getting better and better. And um, look, I was super, super disappointed when the Rams pulled the plug. Um, I, I believe, and this is just my own philosophy with NFL quarterbacks, when you have a guy that gives you the chance year after year to win your division, that's what it all comes down to. I mean, the NFL, if you look at the structure of the league, if you win your division, you're assured a spot in the playoffs. At which point can you as a team get hot? Are you healthy enough and are you playing well enough to get hot for three straight wins? And that puts you in the Super Bowl. And, and you can look. I mean, teams come from a six seed to a one seed or whatever it is, and they go all the way and, and win the Super Bowl. So first and foremost, what are you doing through the course of the season to get you in the tournament? And Jared proved to be a guy that, that, can, that can win the division year after year and, or at least – give you a really good shot to do that. So, I, you know, I had asked the Rams after that move, what, what are you guys going for here? You know, I mean, are you, are you, is it just that you, you, you thought, you know, he didn't quite deliver in the Super Bowl or that you may not get back to the Super Bowl with him? Because to me, he's going to, he's going to win. If, you, if, if he's your starting quarterback for 15 years in LA, you're going to win nine division championships. And now you have nine shots to, you know, to get hot and, and try to win a Super Bowl. So that, that to me was, um, a little bit odd in that line of thinking, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, every coach, every executive has their own prerogative on what they think gives them the best chance to win. And I think they'd lost that belief um, in Jared or they became enamored with somebody else that might be able to do it better. And um, when they made the trade, you know, Jared called me immediately um, and said, Hey, I've been traded to the lions. And it was like, Whoa. I mean, that wasn't on our radar at all because we knew that Stafford would be traded from the lions, but not that it'd be some sort of direct swap that would send Jared to Detroit. Um, but again, in, in true Jared fashion, it took him about a day to be like, all right, let's go. Right. Like the, these guys don't believe in me. I'm perfectly fine hitting the reset button and I'm going to take, you know, huge steps in, in, in my own personal growth and development and, and let's go. And I, I now, I now look at this as Jared started as a young guy at Marin Catholic high school. And, and, you know, at some point you go from being a young pup to becoming the guy and you're the veteran guy on the team and you take it over and you, you know, you become a championship caliber guy. Same thing at Cal. He starts so early at Cal that he's a young guy and you probably have to baby a lot of things and, and, you know, your scheme around him until he owns it, until he takes control. And he did that. And, and I remember going to practice in, in Memorial Stadium and watching Jared just command practice. And it was like, who's the coach out here? I mean, this guy is just like, directing traffic all over the place, you know, running, you know, running practice. And so then you start over in the NFL and you're the young guy. And and I think that even when McVay came in, he was viewed as a young guy and it was like, well, let's not give him full authority to manage the line of scrimmage. And let's not, you know, let's not let him get us in and out of plays. Let's, let's just make him run what we call. And you're kind of babying him. And, and I think the difference now in Detroit is that he walks in there going, I'm not, I'm not a rookie. I'm not a young guy. I know what this league can do. I know what I can do. I know what it takes. Let's go. And it's it's a new chapter to his football life, 
but I think it's going to be a really good chapter because he's not starting, you know, uh, starting out young. He's, he's coming in as a vet that everybody's looking at to say, you know, you, you lead us and you tell us how to get it done. Yeah. And that's a fantastic point. I, I, I said that about Jeff Tedford all the time when he was at Cal, right? Cal was his first head coaching job. So yeah. even in year six, seven, it's still his first head coaching job. And sometimes you need a little bit of separation to kind of learn those lessons that you don't learn otherwise. In my opinion, the Rams traded him because McVay is a young coach right. and he's a guy that, I mean, how many times can you throw counter pass waggle, you know, throwback? You're going to throw a lot of picks. You're trying to throw the ball vertically down the field and in the NFL stuff trickles downhill. Right. And so if you're the head guy and there's some questions about why you're not going to the playoffs, well, it must be the quarterback's fault, right? It's got to be that guy. It's the most important position on the field. It's quite honestly the most important position in the whole organization. And so if the head coach doesn't want that pressure, then it's got to be the QB who's the issue. And right. I think Jared got some of that from a young head coach who wasn't secure enough in what he felt about himself and his play calling and everything else, that Jared ended up being a byproduct of that attention. And so I wish him the best. I love that attitude. I think I told you before, when Jared came on my show, I took him out, you know, gridiron outdoors and we went hunting. Uh, actually had the pigs that we harvested on that hunt as a team barbecue for, you know, right after camp. But yeah. we went out and hunted and I, I put him on the guns and I was teaching him how to shoot. And he first shot, he's off the bull, right? And I get him centered up. He gets dialed in, gets locked in and boom, hits a bull. Racks one, hits another bull. And he looks at me, he's like, let's go. Like, let's compete. His third <laughs> shot ever firing this rifle. And he wants to compete with me. And I've had, you know, 10,000 shots downrange. I've been taught by Navy uh, SEAL snipers, like, you know, Marine Rangers. Like, these guys have all taught me how to shoot. And Jared's like, hey, I've shot three shots. Let's go. Let's compete. Yep. And I just, I love that about him. You're right. Quarterbacks have to be delusional. And if they're not, then you, you don't bring that to your team. And so it's an awesome thing. RT, you are awesome. Uh, dude, love having you on the podcast. Like I said, one of my favorite guys of all time. I appreciate you coming on today. I feel the same, Mike. You're the man. Uh, Cal, Cal's lucky to have you to continue to be an ambassador of the program. And, and uh, again, thank you for your impact on me, on my life, uh, helping give me confidence, not, not just as a quarterback, but as a person to, to do what I'm doing now. So can't wait to see you soon and, and uh, hear you calling more games. I love it, brother. That's part of the Cal quarterback brotherhood. That's right. Thanks, Mike. Cool. Man. So that is, as I said, one of my all-time favorite quarterbacks, Ryan Tolner. Fantastic dude, fantastic agent. One of the guys in the business who has kept that character, just a quality character human being. Absolutely love him. Talk about you know, one of our favorite quarterbacks, too, Jared Goff. I appreciate you guys watching. We will be talking to Athletic Director Jim Knowlton at some point about what Cal has going on to help out their athletes with the name, image, and likeness. So until next time, it's been the Bear Insider Podcast, the ultimate insider. Go Bears, and I will talk to you again soon.